You working? There we go. It is just a lemony snicket morning here this morning, isn't it? The gadgets just aren't working. Let's begin with a prayer. Let's get things aligned aright. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in the waters of baptism, you forgave my sin, and you delivered me from death and the devil. You raised me to a new life in Christ, and you clothed me with his undeserved merit. Help me to rejoice in your washing of salvation and live before you in righteousness and purity forever. To this, let God's people say amen. God just has this way of thinking contrary to the way that our brains work. In fact, I think it would not be an overstatement for you to say to yourself, you know, when I look at my brain pattern and I look at the way God's brain pattern operates, it just seems to be backwards. And, and we always accuse God of being backwards or contrary to our way of thinking, right? Let me just give you a couple examples. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you, James chapter 4. Now, what dictator ever in the history of the world, or in light of the Apple News articles about the, the wages of CEOs this year, maybe we should say what CEO ever in the history of corporate North America ever said, to be exalted, I must be first humbled. Never happened. Another example. He said to me, 2 Corinthians 12, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I, will, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What boxer, what Muhammad Ali, what George Foreman ever in the history of his career, ever thought to himself, to be strong, I must first become weak. Never happened. Another example. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive, meaning to be a receiver, you must first be give a, become a giver which is totally opposite the worldly view that goes like this. It is better to work as much as you can, earn all you can, get very rich, keep it all for yourself, withhold from others if you at all possibly can, so that your children can fight over it once they lower you into a six-foot grave. That's kind of the way it goes, right? One more example. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Meaning, to live, you must first die. And in this case, you have to put to death the deeds of the body. This is totally opposite the way that life works here in this world, right? Paradoxes of the gospel is what we would call these things. The kingdom of God operates in such a way that it seems to be totally contrary or totally backwards or totally opposite the way that we operate in this world. Today, we're going to leap over 30 years from where we first saw, where we last saw Jesus as an infant. And now he's a grown man. He's been safely brought out of Egypt. The Magi have come and gone. And now he is safely uh, 
starting to start his ministry. Um, the years of silence are finally broken. And here he is standing on the shores of the Jordan River. And he's going to do something that seems to be absolutely backwards to his very nature. He's going to ask his locust-eating co cousin to baptize him there in the Jordan River. And he says to him, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Well, I'm just going to ask this question and just get it out there just from the, for the get-go, for those to make it obvious. What God needs to be baptized? Isn't that kind of the question that needs to be answered here this morning? I mean, willingly, this is the Son of God who willingly left heaven to come to Bethlehem. This is the Son of God who willingly took up a place in the womb of the Virgin Mary. This is the God who willingly took up human flesh so that he could become our substitute and live our lives in our place. This is the God who willingly came here to do his Father's bidding. In a, in a God setup, a triune God setup, which totally heats up your mind and you don't even understand it. But now, he willingly comes to the Jordan River and he asks him to, his cousin to baptize him. It asks the question, what God thinks that he needs to be baptized? What kind of God gets baptized? You know, you got to ask yourself, it seems kind of pointless, doesn't it? You're God, for heaven's sakes. This is your sacrament. You know why it was instituted. It was instituted for the forgiveness, the washing away of sins and the forgiveness of sins. Isn't this kind of pointless? In fact, if you are God, one of the three persons of the Trinity, and now you're being asked by your father to get yourself baptized by, the, by your cousin John, who eats locusts, for the, as a matter of fact. Did we mention that before? That's just kind of weird eat locusts. I know it's an Epicurean delight in some parts of the world, but for heaven's sakes, locusts. Wouldn't it just seem a little degrading to you? If your father says you need to go see your cousin, you need to get yourself baptized. Aren't you going to do like a double check about your divinity and wonder what's maybe wrong that I need to have myself baptized? Well, John recognized Jesus for who he was. And this turn of events had to have totally flustered him. It had to totally throw him off. I mean, John had just got done warning the Pharisees and the Sadducees, after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then... Now, that's a pretty high accolade, right? Pretty high testimony of who this guy is, this one to come. But then the one to come comes and blows up this wonderful testimony by asking him to be baptized, right? This must have totally baffled John. He must have been standing there scratching his head going, what in the world, Jesus? What, what is going on here? What kind of God needs to be baptized? You don't need to be baptized. I need to be baptized by you. You are the greater. I am the lesser. What's going on here? But John was right about this one to come. Jesus says, let it be so now. And for added assurance that there was nothing improper about Jesus being baptized by his lowly cousin, the great prophet, though, um, John the Baptist. He adds that this has something to do with righteousness. Somehow that's supposed to change the whole situation. Righteousness, all right, fine, but still, what kind of God gets baptized? Excuse me. Up to this point, 
Jesus had fulfilled some righteousness in his life up to this point, 30 years of life that he had been on this planet. But now he's going to set out to fulfill all righteousness. So what's going on here? Well, what you're seeing is Jesus' ministry in a transition right here. Um, From the very beginning of his life, Jesus had lived the free-from-sin life that God had demanded of all creatures, right? And he had done that as you, in your place, as your substitute, living the perfect life that he's demanded of all of his creatures, right? But now the time had come for Jesus to passively allow his life to be taken as payment for sins, our sins. In other words, Sins which make us backwards with God, and not just backwards with God, but hostile to God, and enemies of God, and not in God's family. In other words, the outcome of being sin-filled has just got really bad repercussions for a really bad outcome for anyone who's got that. And this is what Jesus came to reverse and what he came to take care of. Why else would John the Baptist have cried out, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So now... Jesus embarks in this transition period of his ministry right there at the, bo- the, the Jordan River. He embarks from going from this active obedience of his ministry where he is having no sin to pay for and he's living perfect life and, and the innocent death is coming. But now he's in this passive obedience mode of his life where he's paying for sins that he is not guilty of. Jesus willingly steps himself into that Jordan River to prove that he is one of us, that he is taking on our place in fulfilling the requirements that God has for each and every single one of us in order to be able to get to heaven. He's identifying himself as clearly as he possibly can, and the Father and the Holy Spirit are going to help with that identification in just a moment, that he is not just the faultless Son of God, but he is also the Son of Man who is stepping into your shoes. Willingly, he immerses himself into your guilt. When was the last time you did something like that for someone else? Willingly, he embraces your sin-filled humanity. When was the last time that you had a prayer, Lord, let their sins fall upon me instead upon them. I'll pay for them. Willingly, he's doing his father's will. It's like the father is saying to him, go, my son. Go and be Peter the denier. Be Paul the persecutor. Be David the adulterer. Be that sinner who ate the fruit in paradise. Be the thief on the cross. Be that trespasser who will sit in a pew listening to this story in the year 2023. Go and be the one person who has committed all the sins of all the people of all time and make sure that you pay for them and make satisfaction for them. What kind of God gets baptized? The same God who poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. You know, it may appear to you that everything's backwards here. Everything is all turned around. That Jesus doesn't have a clue as to what he's supposed to be doing in his role as the second person of the Trinity. But he knew exactly what he was doing, and he knew exactly how to fulfill all righteousness. And you know something else? He still does. 
Whenever the scene of your life enters into a dark chapter, or as we mentioned two weeks ago, when the Lord allows you to wander into a dark forest with a lot of dangerous animals, when sin threatens to pulverize you, you need to remember your baptism. You need to remember that the occurrence in your life that you have absolutely no cognitive memory of whatsoever, but everyone has assured you that it really happened and that you were baptized into the, tri- the name of the triune God, into the family of God. God made you a promise there. Every single time that you turn and you ask for forgiveness, your baptismal covenant, your baptismal forgiveness comes into play with the God who got baptized for you. You think that you need solutions. What he knows that what you really need is faith in his son as Jesus as your savior. You see, what you think that you need is your problems to be fixed. What he knows that you need is you need forgiveness for the things that you have broken. What you think that you need is you need answers to your questions, those burning questions that just keep you awake at night. What he knows that you need is he knows that you need assurance. You see, the God who got baptized for you knows, you, knows that providing faith and forgiveness and the assurance of God's peace, that that can only be the real solution to your problem, which is sin. That's the only place where the problem of that sin can be found, and it's the only way that your, your real situation can be fixed, that fixed of your broken, your broken relationship with God. So what kind of God gets baptized? The kind that wants to fulfill all righteousness. And that's the right, there's that righteousness word again, meaning how does God go about pulling off, paying for the sins of someone who should really pay for them in their own place? He does it in five easy steps. Number one, he enters into this world. Number two, he takes on your human flesh. Number three, He absorbs your toxins. Number four, he allows his blood to flow for those toxins and allows himself to die for you. And number five, he rises from the grave to assure you that I've taken care of all of this. And everything that I've said to you throughout my 33 years of ministry, it's all true. It's all true. There really is power in that baptismal formula. The power of God's word coming to you in the water to wash that sin away, it's really true. You really are forgiven by your Father in heaven. You see, all of his perfect life, all of his divine righteousness, all of his holy, holiness, it all, all that he was and all that he is has flown into that baptismal font and it has washed away your sins and has declared you forgiven in the name of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is a font that is filled overflowing with the Father's love for you and the Son's willingness to take upon your sins for you. Remember that the next time that you find yourself in a pickle in this world where the things are seeming really dark and not looking very light and cheery. After a 30-year silence, the baptism of our Lord in heaven is heaven's way of validating that the Son of Mary really is the Son of Man and God's faultless son. This epiphany this morning at the Jordan River, it's his way of showing you that it's a call to faith for all generations. 
but it's particularly a call to this particular generation that they can go out and share this message of the epiphany season with those people who don't know that their sins have been forgiven in the wonderful work of Jesus, their Savior. It's a call to this act, call to action for this generation to proclaim to everyone that they come into contact with, this is the kind of God who got baptized for you. And I think you all have enough Christian education that you can certainly have that conversation. It's law and gospel. It's sin and grace. It's our falling short in his overflowing fulfillment of what needs to be done to make us right with our Father in heaven. What kind of God gets baptized? The Son of Man, Mary's Son, the faultless Son of God, so that each sinner made saint can hear the very same declaration that Jesus heard as he was standing there having just come up out of the river. This is my son. This is my daughter. With him, with her, I am well pleased. Amen. Please stand. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, it will guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.